Well, good morning to everybody on this beautiful Sunday. <laughs> uh, welcome to everybody down here in the well, everybody upstairs in the well cafe. If we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. Uh, I have the pleasure of serving as your lead pastor for the well worshiping community. Uh, just love this place. I love that we are one worship community meeting in two different places uh, at the same time. Just a joy as always to be in worship with you. If you brought your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn or click over to Acts chapter 15. That's uh, where we're going to be today. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have some blue ones provided in both spaces. Uh, you can find Acts chapter 15 on page 1716 if that's what you are using today. Now, if you've missed the past couple weeks, or maybe you're here for the very first time uh, in church today, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Family Meeting. And uh, we're in week three, actually. And the whole premise of this series uh, is that the church, and more specifically this church, uh, we believe should be a family. We should be a family. And, and what great families do is that they, they have shared values that they try to live into together. They hold each other accountable to and faithful to uh, those values. They also have a shared vision that they are pursuing together uh, as a family. So this means that every once in a while, this family, this great family, right, and our church family, uh, we have to get together. And we have to meet to remind ourselves of who we are and, and who we're going to be and where we're going. To help us do that, we've been in the book of Acts. Uh, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you've known that. We've been spending a lot of time in Acts chapter 2, uh, looking at the beginning of the church, this thing that we call the church. How did it begin to help us identify who we are and who we want to be in the future? Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. We're going to fast forward a little bit as this community has grown and it is now beginning to experience some growing pains. We'll see that here. Uh, and maybe some of these growing pain, pains that we experience today in the church all on account of the good news of Jesus. So we're going to be there, and before we get there, I want us to look quickly at Acts 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll put it on the screen. But in Acts chapter 1, it's, there's a way of reminding us uh, of this whole thing and how it began and of why it got so complicated now and what we're going to read in 15. So Acts begins, chapter 1, with some instructions that Jesus gives the disciples that are left behind on earth, right, after his resurrection, before his ascension. And he says to him this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now what you may or may not, probably not, will find interesting, is that this, <laughs> thanks, this, uh, this commission right here, if you see the order in which uh, these places are named, uh, this is how uh, it expanded. This is how the gospel grew, right? It started there in Jerusalem, and then it grew into Judea and Samaria, and then out into the ends of the earth. And it's this commission right here, this commission, and where Jesus says that they will go, that becomes problematic for this new community. It becomes problematic for the new church. And it's maybe a little bit of why it's problematic today. So the question I asked at the end of last week, if you were here, uh, finds its origins here in this great commission. And that question is this, who gets to belong? When we talk about church, when we talk about the community and the family of faith, we, when we talk about family, we naturally ask the question, who gets to belong in that family? And we find the origin of that question here because Jesus, when he says the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which makes total sense, right? We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then it spreads out a little further into Judea and Samaria and people that 
might be these new Jesus followers might be like, okay. And then we get to the ends of the earth part. And therein is where we find this challenge. Now, this challenge arises because of the rapid and extreme growth and expansion of this new movement, of the gospel. It was such good news. It's moving out into the world, and that's a great thing. But it creates these consequences, and it creates questions that rise up in these people of faith of how we will continue to share the good news and who will get to belong to this new community. There's a problem that arises within this new movement. And what is that problem, you ask? To do that, to explain what this problem is, I'm going to have to do a little bit of explaining. So I'm going to do this at the beginning of the sermon while you're more awake now, right? And so hang with me for just a minute. You might not know this. Many of you probably do. But Jesus was Jewish. (laughs) Jesus was Jewish. He He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. He practiced Jewish customs. The audience that Jesus addressed in his ministry was mostly, with only very few exceptions, Jewish. He addressed a Jewish community, and he, and, and he taught them. He himself was Jewish. And the, ex, the excitement and the expectations that grew as Jesus' ministry expanded, the more and more people he helped and the more and more people he touched, the expectations and the excitement that grew was all centered around this hope that Jesus was, in fact, the Jewish Messiah that was talked about in the prophets, right? In their scriptures, what we call today the Old Testament. This is the only scriptures they had. And there was this Messiah that was supposed to come and was supposed to rescue and redeem and restore the Jewish people to restore Israel to prominence again. The hope was centered around that Jesus was this Jewish Messiah. All of his disciples uh, were Jewish, the people that followed him and that learned from him. And all of the people, all the original people that joined this early movement in the infancy of the church, the people that we read about in chapter 2, remember 3,000 came into their numbers that day, and then they all continued to meet together, and daily people were added to their numbers. They were all Jewish too. So this wasn't really seen necessarily as a brand new religion. This was just an extension of something that already existed. It was a new way of interacting with God And with one another, a new relationship with God and with each other. Now, as this message continued to carry forward, as it grew outside of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Paul, Peter, John, all these uh, church apostles, these church leaders, they're engaging more and more Jewish communities further and further away from Jerusalem. But as part of doing that, they're also engaging this other group of people, people that aren't Jewish. People that were totally different from this new community, or at least so they thought. People that didn't identify as Jewish, and the Jewish people identified them as a wholly other people, as separate, as different from the Jews. Not belonging to the in crowd, right? They're on the outside. And and the name that they had for this community were Gentiles. Now, Gentile is... It's not something somebody who is not Jewish would self-identify as. Gentile was a strictly Jewish word. It was a word that religious people, people of faith, used to describe those that were not a part of the faith. Everybody else that's not one of us, we call them Gentiles, right? It's just an easy way of naming everybody that's not us, people that were outside of us and were on the inside. So this is what they did. Called them Gentiles. They were totally different. And Gentiles were considered by Jewish people to be unclean unholy. And and they were not only seen uh, as those things, but they weren't even viewed as neighbors. Uh, 
or, or allies or, you know, at, at all. They were seen as adversaries, people that were against the purposes of God, people that could not belong inside the purposes of God. Only the Jewish people could do that. And yet, as the apostles are going forward, more and more of these Gentiles, more and more of these non-Jewish people are starting to hear the good news and starting to want to belong to this community. Which raises some very interesting questions for these Jewish apostles teaching the good news of Christ. Turns out, people outside of the Jewish faith also were seeking wholeness and were also seeking peace. And grace, But what do you do? What do you do with these brand new people that come in that know nothing of your history, that know nothing of your faith? What do you do with these people, these Gentiles that come in and they don't, they don't know the law of Moses, they don't keep the law of Moses, they don't know what it means to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean, they don't understand all of our rules around eating certain things. How, what do we do with them? And, 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 and Jewish, we are, Jewish people were uh, temple-centered people, temple-centric. So they were in synagogues and temples. That's where they go to meet, the house of God, right? We all gather here. What, how are they just going to, they're not even going to know where to sit. They're not going to know what to say. They're not going to know when, when our rabbi says something and we say stuff. They're not going to know those words. They're not going to know all the different rituals they do. They're going to mess it up and they're going to get in the way and they're going to be noisy and they're going to sit in my seat. and they're gonna do, What are we supposed to do? There's a lot of questions arising around these new people. And it would be so easy, right? It just makes total sense to just say, well, let's just make them Jewish, right? We'll just give them a list of things that they need to know, a list of things they need to learn, a list of things they need to do, and they can become Jewish. I mean, not fully Jewish, right, because they weren't born Jewish, but they'll be sort of Jewish, and then they could join this new Jesus community, right? That makes total sense. If, if Jesus was Jewish and this whole community was built out of that, like, wouldn't it make sense for that to happen? And now... If all that meant was we're going to learn the Jewish scriptures and we're going to learn Jewish theology, I don't think this would be such a big deal. I don't think it would have been written about in scriptures. I don't think I'd be preaching about it right now, right? But that's not quite what happened. Unfortunately, especially unfortunately for men, there was a little surgery involved if you wanted to become. (laughs) This is a fact. Acts 15, verse 1, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. If you thought this church had high membership standards, (laughs) this new member class was only full of women and children. (laughs) Dad was out in the car like, just let us know when we're joining the church, all right, honey? I'm going to be right here. <laughs> but that wasn't it. That wasn't the whole story. That wasn't all that was required. You would think, man, that's enough, right? That wasn't all. Verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Pharisees, people, the keepers of the law, and, and they get a bad rap a lot of the times, but they were just really passionate about their faith. And they had the law, they had their scriptures, and they thought, I, the best way that I can be faithful to God is to be faithful to this teaching and follow this law. That's how I get close. To, this is how I honor God, 
by doing this. And so you would see if these new people are coming into this new community, why it would be confusing for them, why they wouldn't keep the same thing that I've been keeping. I believe Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Messiah, but this is, this is what I've known. This is my faith. This is part of my religion. Shouldn't they do this too? It was important for them. So then look at verse 6. The apostles and the elders, these are Peter, Paul, James, leaders of this early Jesus community. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. What question? The question of who gets to belong and how do they get to belong? There's probably been some points in your life where you have made a decision. There was a question about what you would do uh, in your life, and, and you knew it was a pretty important, a significant question. But when you look back, in hindsight, you look and you see that that was a really pivotal moment in my life. That the decisions I made there really took me in a direction in my life. I mean, changed the trajectory of my life. It was a pivotal moment. The same thing is happening here as the apostles and elders consider this question of who gets to belong. Because the entire future of this new community, this new Jesus movement, the entire future hung in the balance. And the answer to this question of what it's going to mean to belong and who gets to do that. When we look back at this moment in Acts 15, we call this the Jerusalem Council. This was a moment when a lot of decisions were being made about the early church, and they were critical decisions. So what happens next is two of the leaders of this new Jesus community rose up to speak on the behalf of this growing community of people that were outside the Jewish faith, these Gentile people that were coming in to know God. One of them was Peter. We've heard of Peter before. And he had experienced, as you read earlier in Acts, he had experienced his own transformation uh, in regards to this. And Peter gives a little testimony Uh, Verses 7 through 11 is that testimony that Peter gives. But I really want to highlight the very end in verse 11 when he says, at the end of this, this he talks about what he's experienced. And then he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. I mean, that was radically new. There was all these other things that we had to do to to make us ritually clean, to, to, to help us come before God to be in God's presence. And and what Peter is saying here is that, no, we weren't saved by any of that stuff. We were saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they are being saved. And after Peter comes James, James, the brother of Jesus. If you ever need further proof like why Jesus was the Messiah, could you imagine if your brother claimed to be God's son? (laughs) James didn't believe it at first either. Uh, But it was after the resurrection when James came to faith and believed that his brother Jesus was in fact God's son. There was something special. He was a savior. He was a redeemer. James speaks up to the, and he's one of the key leaders of Jerusalem church. And if you jump down with me to verse 19, he says a lot of things. He has a lot of considerations, but this is where he lands. It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And all at once, all the Gentile men in the room just, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is an interesting question, and I don't know know if you've ever read this before. A few years ago when I read this for the very first time and really understood what it was saying, it blew my mind. 
It blew my mind because I was somebody who's raised in church. And, and, and when I think of church and I, all my life growing up in church, I thought church was good. But I also thought it was supposed to be kind of hard. Right? It was supposed to be kind of difficult. There was supposed to be a lot of things that you're supposed to know how to say and know how to do. And you're supposed to know what trespasses meant when we said the Lord's Prayer. Like, I, we were supposed to know all these things. And, and that was part of becoming a Christian was like jumping through all the hoops of being a Christian. Right? Understanding the language and knowing where I was supposed to sit and when I was supposed to stand and when I was supposed to kneel. Knowing all of those things was part of our faith. Right? And yet, here we say it shouldn't be hard. The other thing that troubles me when I read this, in a good way, I think, but what troubles me is, is I, I think of it shouldn't be difficult for those that are turning to God, and I, and I wrestle with what that means in terms of holiness as well. That as Christians, we, 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 are, we are people that live by grace, right? Grace and, and accept me as I am God, but don't leave me this way, right? Like, I, where does holiness, where, where do we, there's a tension that exists between radical grace and the hospitality that exists in that, but also this pursuit of holiness to be something different, to, to transform and to change my life. And these two things aren't mutually exclusive, and actually in two weeks we're going we're gonna to dive into this a little bit more, but, uh, but these two things just blow my mind that this is the early church leader that says we shouldn't, it shouldn't be so hard for people that are turning to God. Let them turn to God. Quit putting hurdles in front of them. And right after this, these church leaders draft a letter that they then send uh, with Paul and Barnabas that is not only going to affirm the presence of these new Gentile believers, but also communicate with them that these new people in the faith, these brothers and sisters, the same grace and the same spirit that lives in them that they experience is the exact same spirit and grace that these church leaders have experienced. And that in that we are united. We are the same. We have received the same spirit and the same grace. That ends our little history lesson for today. And so we're going to move on to what this means for us as a church family. Why do we read this? What impact does it have on us? I want to do that by, by giving you a little bit of an illustration, I think. When we think about families, there's, a tons of different Im- there's tons of different images that come to mind. If I were to ask you to think about family and you know, what it means to be a family, the activities that take place as part of being a family, you could think of all kinds of things. You could think of family game nights where you gathered and, and played uh, games together. You could think of holiday tr- specific holiday traditions that you might have and you might share uh, with your family. You might think of road trips, maybe going to see distant family or going to see touristy sites uh, around the world. Even in our differing experiences of what family is, I I think that there's this one image that might pop up for us uh, that might be somewhat universal to all of us, and that's uh, the table, the family table, a place where you uh, might have gathered on more more than one occasion to um, celebrate with somebody who had a, a milestone moment in their life. Where you might, have, uh, you might have had in your family this thing where at least a couple times a week you were going to sit down and share a meal uh, at that table. Maybe times where you gathered around to have a, a really hard conversation. Whether there was hurt or there was concerns. But this table was the center where that, where that happened. Maybe you shared holiday meals there as well. But one of the things that, that we do know, and if your table was anything like my table growing up, 
is that sometimes in those situations, in those moments, whether it was celebration or, or grief or, or concern, that more people would be in the house ready to eat than there were places at the table. And as more people came into the home, our table did this thing where, like, if you pulled it apart, it created this gap in the middle. And you had these extra sections of table. I think you call them leaves. I don't know why. But, and, and you would put it in the table, and you would close the table back up, and all of a sudden the table was extended. And there were more places at that table for people that showed up. And maybe you would have an even bigger event, and you had to get the, the other leaves out, the ones with dust all over them, and you pull the table out even more, and you put them on there. And now all the chairs are mismatched, but still, you had a place for everybody at the table. And while that many people sit around a table, that created quite an inconvenience for you. Trying to get around with your plate and not spill it on people, elbows bumping into each other, trying to figure. I mean, it created quite an inconvenience, but it was so worth it. Because you knew how important it was for everyone to find their place there. For everybody to have a seat to join together in that, in that meal. And as the room continues to feel, we can feel, we continue, feel. Like that's like so Texan. As the room continues to fill, people continue to find, as the room feels it, people park their behinds at the table and start, just ruined that really sacred moment. That's what I did. <laughs> People find their space at the table there. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that as we gather each and every week in our churches, that we have a table here as well. A table where we break bread and share in the, the sacrament of Holy Communion. We have one upstairs as well. And this, this table is the center of our worship. It's no coincidence that we have that and we share in that sacrament and we share in it together just as men and women have throughout history as part of this, this faith movement. But the thing we have to remember is that this table here, it doesn't belong to us. This table doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to First Methodist Mansfield. It doesn't belong to me or any of our other pastors. That this table belongs to Jesus. This table here belongs to Jesus. It's his and his alone. And there's this moment, this brief moment in Acts chapter 15. There's this brief moment in Acts chapter 15 where everything that Jesus came to do, everything that Jesus came to share with the world, in that very moment, it hung in the balance with this question of who gets to be here. With this question of who gets to belong. These two questions that, that, these, that these followers of Jesus are wrestling with. And this idea of faith and sharing the good news. And these questions are, whose table is this? And who gets to belong at this table? Who is welcome at this table? I mean, for that moment, this is the question that they're considering. And this was huge for the church. And how they would operate going forward. Whose table is this? And who is welcome at this table. One very small but incredibly significant example of this uh, in our church is uh, one of the most rapidly growing, incredible ministries here uh, at our church. It's our special needs ministry. It's an area where God is doing some amazing things, particularly in these last two years, and that's due in large part uh, to a, a woman named Amanda Ferguson. 
She's incredible. If you don't know her, man, she is so passionate and her passion is contagious. If you're one of those people that come to church and you hope to kind of sneak in and sneak out with nobody noticing and not getting involved in anything, then it's best that you avoid Amanda because her passion, you will get so caught up in wanting to serve others and serve God by doing that that you will not be able to help yourself. She will get you involved. She is so incredible. Her passion is, is amazing. Amanda shared a note with us uh, from one of the uh, parents of, of a family who has found a home here in our church, uh, in large part because of this growing ministry uh, and the way it had communicated to their family that they were welcome at the table, that they had a place here. I want to share a little bit of that with you. Hear these words from one of your brothers and sisters sitting in worship today. It says, I am so thankful that this church reached out to special needs kids and to families at Ben Barber High School through Stepping Stones. Our daughter enjoyed coming so much that when, she, that when you invited parents to come one week for Thanksgiving dinner, we were delighted to come. And I asked about a special needs Bible study because I knew she didn't fit in in youth group anymore. And you told me that there wasn't one yet, but that you, you realized that there was a real need. When you called and told me that one had been started, I brought our daughter, and she has loved coming. Our entire family started attending worship, and after attending for a while, we decided to attend Starting Point to find out more about the church and to join this church family. Because of her involvement, Jackie has since come to understand God's grace for herself and made the decision to be baptized. I am so thankful for the love that you have shown these kids and young adults with differences. I mean... Just what an incredible picture of what the church is and should be for everybody. But one of the ongoing temptations that we face is for us to forget who this table belongs to and who is welcome at this table. It's easy for us to forget that though this table has grown, speaking of our church, in amazing ways, that there is still plenty of room, that this church really ceases, and the church in general really ceases to be the church when we lose our ambition for sharing the invitation that God had sent forth to all people to come and find his grace at the table. When the only relationships that we find ourselves nurturing are the ones that we have developed with others that have already found their place at the table, or others that are just like us, that think like us, that, that act like us, that look like us, when we lose our energy and our ambition uh, to build life-giving relationships with our neighbors, those that we see that might not look like us or act like us, when we forget that the world is filled with people who need Jesus, who are desperately searching for wholeness and, and purpose in their lives, and it's when we fail to engage and learn from those who we perceive to be different, who we perceive to be other than us, who are not really a part of our tribe. We fail to be the church when we do that. It's in those moments of questioning and, and wrestling with how we will engage those that look different and act different, that might not call themselves Christians, that might not attend church regularly, that might not behave themselves if they do come to church. It's when we, in that moment, when we have that question, that our heart, the heart of this church and the heart of every individual Jesus follower hangs in the balance. Because forgetting who is welcome at this table 
always goes hand in hand with forgetting the one to whom this table belongs. If we forget who is welcome at this table, we forget who this table belongs to. And that's incredibly important for us. The table sits at the center of our life together. And it is a table that we believe is open to all people. All people. And it reminds us that it is open to even those that might not assume they're welcome. Those that might not think they're welcome. Those that we might think aren't welcome. That table is open. So as we read this scripture here in Acts 15, and I I invite you over this week to, to dive into it again and really read this wrestling that takes place with people these people of faith and, and understanding who belongs. It's a critical moment in the church. That scripture challenges us in this way, and this week it challenges us with this question. Is there room for blank at the table? Is there room at the table? And you get to fill in that blank. And the reason that you get to fill in that blank is because It is the charge of each and every one of us to invite people to the table. And as inviters, as an extension of Jesus' ministry, what we are called to do is to reach out to those that might not think they are welcome. And instead of pushing in the chair, saying, oh, this this seat is saved for somebody else, we pull it out and say, sit here next to me. We get to fill in this blank because this table, while we have a, one here and we speak of the church in, in this way as well as the center of our life of faith together, there's also a table in our hearts. If we have claimed Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, if Jesus is the Lord of our life, if he reigns in our hearts, if we have said yes to you, Jesus, I want you to be the example for my life. I want to follow your example. I want to be led, Jesus, where you lead me. And that means there's this little table in your heart as well. And we have that blank to fill in. Who is welcome there? Who will I extend the invitation to? Jesus' ministry, if you read the Gospels, was marked by inviting individuals who had no place in the religious Uh, in the religious life, who had no place there, whether they did not want to be there or people did not want them to be there. Jesus' ministry is marked by inviting those people to the table. Quite literally, if you read through, there's often where Jesus is sharing meals and what we would consider today to be church folk or sitting outside those places looking in the windows going, can you believe who he's eating with right now? And not in a good surprise way, like a totally bad surprise way. Can you believe that? Look who is sitting at that table. Look who he is associating with. Look who he is sharing a meal with. Look who he has invited to the table. Can you believe that? And the deeper question that's involved there that they don't say in scriptures, but you know is going on as you peer through and you see that these these people that are sitting at the table with Jesus, the deeper question is, where's our place? Right? The, the church folk that are sitting out there going, can, the deeper question is, can you believe he's eating with them and not with us? I mean, that, that, was, that was so disturbing for them. And it should be disturbing for us too. 
But not that we are left out in the cold, but that we are to be like Jesus and to be inviting people to that table, to share in the grace that Jesus had. People that are unworthy, unclean, unbehaved, unchristian, inviting them to the table. I said this last week that the church, what we, the thing that we do here is meant to be an extension of Jesus' ministry to save the world. That's why Jesus came, salvation of the world. We are an extension of that ministry. That means that we are to be a light in the dark places and to share the good news with everybody that there is a table of grace that has plenty of seats for everyone. That you are all welcome. This is who we're called to be as people of faith. And when we speak of the family meeting and we speak of the tension of what it means to have that common identity, to belong, to be pulled in together to be, to be close to one another, the tension that we hold is what does it mean to be close, to hold each other together while also being open and inviting guests to come and join us. That's my prayer for all of us here in church today, each one of you. Will you pray with me now? God of grace and love, we thank you so much for your presence here with us. We pray that we are reminded that while you are present with us, God, sinners, imperfect people, that we are called to be your presence in the world as well, to pull out chairs at your table to invite those to come and take their place because there is a plenty of room, God, for all. You have called us to come and dine with you. Call us forward, God, as the church, not only in this new relationship that we have with you, where we invited into your presence, God, where we get to experience your grace and your transformative love, God, but that we are also in new relationships with each other, that we are called into those dark places of the world to be the light and to invite those, God, who have yet to find their place. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.